This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so we are closing in on Election Day here in Rhode Island in terms of the primary. And someone who is familiar to a lot of different pockets, if you will, of our of our region, um, including the political pocket, is the Reverend Dr. Donnie Anderson and someone who's running for Senate. And, you know, right out of the gate, first of all, welcome. And I wonder why, why jump into... <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful world of politics. I think that's the first obvious question. I mean, it's we were talking offline. It makes perfect sense why you would. But I guess for the listeners, explain what you're doing here. Sure. So as uh, you know, Bill, uh, for the last couple of decades, I've been very involved in the, at the state house and fighting for a variety of social justice issues. Uh, when I was head of the Council of Churches here, we were the only Council of Churches in America to support marriage equality and um, we're very active, uh, joining with other people, uh, including the Board of Rabbis, in front of, by the way, uh, fighting for marriage equality. I was asked to uh, speak at the rally at the State House on June 24th when the SCOTUS decision about Roe v. Wade came down. We all knew it was coming. Um, and it was, you know, the announcement had been made, whatever day it comes down, there's going to be a thing at the Statehouse. Everybody knew. And as I said, I was asked to speak at that rally. And I was honored to do so. I mean, it was truly an honor to be asked to participate in that. And as part of my talk, I said, you know, we're going to demonstrate, we're going to run for office. You know, and I had thought about running for Senate in my district because my senator uh, has long been endorsed by Right to Life, uh, voted against uh, codifying uh, Roe v. Wade for Rhode Islanders in 2019, and has uh, stood against the Equality and Abortion Care Act, which would give full abortion health care to people who are Rhode Island state employees and people who are Medicaid recipients. And I thought about it, but dismissed it. I'm relatively new. I've only lived in my district for a few years, and I... Um, but maybe in two years I'll run. And that night I, I spoke at the rally. Uh, I will tell you the impact of the decision coming down, even though we knew it was coming, was like being hit by a bus. And all I can tell you is I went to bed that night. I woke up in the morning knowing I had to run. And so I called uh, my senator uh, on her cell phone and said, I just want you to hear this from me first. Uh, I am going to challenge you in the primary. And what really motivated me, uh, there are a number of issues that I care about that differentiate me from my opponent. But the one that really drove me to run now is the fact that there are too many waves in this country that are trying to take, uh, have the state take away individual freedoms. And it's way beyond uh, the right to make a choice about an abortion. That is the most visible, but it is simply indicative of a wave of other things that are coming down the pipe. Yeah, and it's it's it reflects a time that we've we've been in and we we seem to be going further and further into of you know, you're you're either on team A or on team B, and there's not a lot of middle ground. And that's what's so scary about it as well, is that you you see sometimes even physical attacks against people, as was the case on on the night of the 24th there um, yes. at the Statehouse. But we've entered into a period where it's it's as if 
there's little room for it's not even compromise, but just for empathy and mutual understanding as to why um, something like Roe v. Wade is not only from a legal standpoint, it's it's solidified into our culture or it ought to be, but also from an emotional standpoint, the type of ripple effect that that has on people um, from from an emotional and fundamental standpoint. It's as if some of the opponents of of of. I guess you would say the anti-choice movement, if you will, um, ha- seem to be very lacking empathy in this as well. They're almost gloating at times, and it just creates this sort of sickening environment. Well, you know, and Bill, this is where this issue becomes so important for Rhode Island. Uh, when I'm out uh, knocking on doors, and I've knocked on over 1,700 doors, I'm hoping to get to 2,000, I will see. Uh, but the thing that, you know, people look at me and say, well, they're surprised that our Senate voted against that, but uh, against, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade protections. But what difference does it make for us here in Rhode Island? Because those protections passed. What people, many people do not understand is that in Rhode Island, by state law, we prohibit employees, uh, people who get their health insurance through the state employee system, and people who are Medicaid recipients, which is about a third of our population, uh, are prohibited by state law from having full abortion health care. Many people do not realize that and are unaware of that. And this is not only, again, this is where abortion is just kind of the head of the issue. You see, what these folks are trying to do is they're saying, politically, I'm against abortion. Therefore, I want to carve out a prohibition of using state money for this particular type of health care. Well, what's next then when you take that kind of approach? First of all, it's a punitive approach. Um, if you read the people who support this, this is a punitive approach. And what's next? I mean, I know what's next. Next is going to be trans health care. They're coming after my community. Look, I am an openly gay uh, woman who's a transgender woman. I'm proud of who I am. I'm so grateful to be who I am, but I know that there are people who want to come after my community, especially against trans health care. And so what we need to understand is, yes, those people who oppose a person's right to make a choice, a grueling choice about abortion, not an easy choice at all, but to leave that choice with the person and the doctor, that in Rhode Island, it goes beyond that. We have a legislature that not might, but has passed laws that prohibit that kind of protection. And this last year, when the Equality and Abortion Coverage Act came up, it was there was some openness and there is some openness in the House and leadership in the House. But the Senate, uh, all three leadership members of the Senate have been supported for years by right to life. And uh, the majority leader has decided not to run. My opponent is the whip. If uh, we can win this election, that's another third of the leadership gone. We don't know who will take their place, but at least there's a shot to get people in there who do not have this punitive approach to people about health care, which is just despicable. Right. It, it, it certainly is. And it's it's about priorities, I suppose. And it's also about just an agenda that is set from the top, especially in, in the nature of the beast here in Rhode Island with our with our House and Senate having um 
you know, the, ju- the, the, the legislative branch is arguably the most powerful branch of government here without question. I would say it's the most powerful branch of government yes. in Rhode Island. So when you talk about taking out, for lack of a better term, leaders, leadership, it's um, it's an effort to reshift the dynamic of of the agenda, the goals, the conversation. And I think most Rhode Islanders, uh, to me, are probably, as you say, they're unaware of some of the positions that maybe their senators are taking or their their representative are taking when it comes to the EACA or anything related to, as you described, some of these punitive approaches to equity. Um, so I guess when you're out there, you've, you've knocked on 1700 doors or for the most part, is that is that assessment correct, where most people are either unaware of where things currently stand? And if, if they are, are they somewhat concerned uh, from what you're discovering? So, of course, I've knocked on doors. That doesn't mean those doors have all been answered. You know, very, <laughs> okay. you know, a lot of people don't come to the door, but right. some people do. And um, some of my best discussions actually have happened as I'm walking along. If I see people sitting on their front porch or, uh, you know, taking a walk, um, I hold up my little card with my picture on it. And I've got a little thing that says I'm a you know, candidate for Senate, yeah. my uh, pink bag across my uh, chest. Um, first of all, the overwhelming majority of people uh, in this district are supportive of uh, a person's right to choose. There's no question about that. When they hear about this, I would say a good 85% are unaware. Few people are aware of the prohibition about full health care coverage uh, for state employees and for persons covered by Medicaid. But the, like I said, about 85% are not aware they are either very concerned about it or some people have gotten really angry. In fact, one person looked at me and it was so mad and and so outraged that such a thing would happen. They even questioned, you know, at first whether I was telling them the truth or whether I was just kind of spreading something. And I said, please, please, please do not take my word for it. Just Google this. Uh, it pops right up. I said, you know, uh, put in there the um, Equality of, of Abortion Coverage Act and um, and see, look for yourself and you'll find that it's true. And they, they became convinced in the course of our conversation. And I think they probably did go back and check anyway, which I think is always, I mean, when any politician comes to your door, whether it's me or anybody else, you ought to check them out, right? right. I mean, that's, that's what informed voters do. I want people to check out what I'm saying. And um, because I'm, proud of what I'm saying, and I'm not hedging on anything. Everything I'm saying is absolutely verifiable, and you can find it in seconds on the internet. So yes, people are upset. The real issue, the challenge for our campaign bill is number one, can we get that message to enough people? And we're using some social media and some mailings and some other things to try and get to that. The other thing is how many people are going to vote in this primary? Because we know a lot of people, you know, might vote in November, but they don't think about voting in a primary. Uh, our hope is that the gubernatorial race, the race for mayor here in Providence, and the race for second district, because uh, some of us in uh, my Senate district are also in the second federal district, that all of those things will generate more people coming to a primary, and that those people, hopefully, that we've gotten enough information to put to them for them to look down the ballot and uh, make an informed decision. I think that's the big thing right now. A lot of us are wondering is how many people are going to turn out. It seems like this election year has been a little bit less 
I don't know want to say there's been a little less enthusiasm. That may not be the right way to put it because there's been a ton of enthusiasm. It's just been more consolidated. I wonder what that turnout will be. How critical do you think that is not only to your campaign, but also to other campaigns across the state that are looking to make changes to the status quo? So I think that it's critically important for my campaign and for any of us who are running against people who've been in office for a long time. Look, my opponent, has been in office for over three decades. Her father had the office for two decades before that. So uh, she's the whip. Um, she has a solid base here. I've talked to some of her. Uh, I've actually had some very nice conversations with some of her supporters. One was very nasty, but the rest were, <laughs> were very conciliatory, right? And, um, and what I found is that... Uh, some people who support her do not necessarily support her position on um, issues related to health care and abortion, but have known her and loved her for a long time and want to support her. I did get an email from one supporter the other day that said, I had to make a very hard choice. I voted for uh, this person for a number of years, but in thinking about what you've said, I've really had to vote my conscience and my political positions as opposed to my personal choice. So. Here's the deal for us. A, we have to, more people have to come out. Those people who do come out have to think about the issues. Where we think that it helps us is that these people who are coming out who don't normally vote in primaries, I mean, many people don't even know who their senator is. I mentioned the name, and some people say, oh, I think I've heard that name, but they're not that familiar. So uh, it works to our advantage. The more people who come out, uh, our analysis is it works to our advantage. The question is, do enough people come out? Because, uh, I mean, when you've been entrenched for over three decades, uh, there's a core of people who like you. But our, our district has changed uh, in the last 30 plus years. It's changed radically. And uh, I think many people are looking for change. Look, one person said to me, I started giving my, you know, moving into my elevator speech kind of thing at the door. And I talked about my opponent being in uh, for over three decades. And they said, stop right there. You know, uh, that's way too long. In fact, one of the things I'm pushing for, Bill, is term limits, yes. meaningful right. term limits. Uh, there was a proposal by uh, Senator Morgan um, back in 2017, but it was confusing. Uh, basically, you know, you could be in office for 16 years, but then the very then, then you could just, if you were in the Senate and you get your 16 years, you could go for 16 years in the House. Yeah. Um, and it <laughs> was, uh, you know, it was just continuous. So if you went for 12 years, took off, a, uh, you know, a once election cycle, you could then run for another 60. It was crazy. I mean, it's not, it wasn't term limits at all. I mean, it was really, I, I'm confused by, well, I'm confused by a number of things that Senator Morgan says. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and quite <laughs> yeah. honestly, often outraged, you know, by yeah. things that Senator Morgan say. I'm, I'm looking forward to being on the floor with her uh, and um, in Senate debates. Uh, it, it may create some newsworthy moments, Bill. But the um, the point here is that leadership uh, needs to change and the way leadership works. For example, the other thing I'm really pushing for is a change in legislative grants. A lot of people do not realize how legislative grants work here. If you're a nonprofit, you can go to your rep or to your senator. Uh, each body gets $1.1 million to just for the leadership to kind of dole out to people, members of their chamber who behave themselves, you know, who go along with leadership and agree with them. Uh, they get 
big money. My opponent last year was the number one person whose name was on state grants. She, her name was on $75,000 worth of state grants. Now, many of those grants went to worthy causes. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you get that money? So what I'm proposing is it's not about who you know, but that we create a system that any nonprofit in the state could apply for one of these state grants. For example, $40,000 last year went to the food bank. I'm all for that. I'm all for the food bank getting some state money to help out. That's what I brought. And if they put in an application and a fair system, they're going to get a grant. There's no, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. But I don't think grants should be going to buy Little League uniforms. $6,000 to, uni you know, Little League uniforms in North Providence, Rhode Island state taxpayer, taxpayer money going to buy those kinds of uniforms. That's crazy. We have such humanitarian needs. So, the money should go to humanitarian needs. I'm proposing instead of leadership giving out this money, that there be a commission made up of community members and some legislators together, that they would make uh, a decision, that that decision would be very public and announced. And, you know, we wouldn't have to wait for the journal to do an investigative report to report it out, right? That, right. that this would be, you know, it would be something that we would really celebrate. That would be something we could be proud of. But the, the way legend and it would take away this power that legislative leaders have over their members because they dangle these chains. Because people say, "Well, look, they got you know uniforms in their uh, for their little league. How come we don't?" I mean, I've I've ranted and raved about this for over twenty years. I mean, if you talk to anybody who's been with me in a social situation, you know, they go, "Never bring up legislative grants with Anderson at <laughs> the cocktail party because it's a spoiler." Because she's going to go off. Because it just, you know, I call it government by Little League. You know, this is this is not a way to run government. And so my problem is not with giving, uh, having some of this discretionary, more discretionary type grant money. I think it's a great idea. But it shouldn't be political leadership doing it. It should be a commission that represents the community and some political leadership because it's coming from the two legislative bodies. That's fine. Um, but... Uh, and it should be transparent, uh, and, it, and it should be for humanitarian purposes, not for Little League. And I'm not against Little League. I'm all for Little League. But that's something that that particular community needs to work on and um, and get their Little League uniforms. Yeah, I completely agree. That Really, just the, the bodies, when you talk about the JCLS, the Joint Committee on Legislative Services or, or Legislative Grants, just the operations side of, of our General Assembly could use an overhaul. There's really no question about it. And yeah, committee or, or or politics by little league. You know, you see a scoreboard or uniforms, whatever it is. It's true. It's not a place where selectively taxpayer dollars should go on a statewide basis. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, let the local community do that. Um, that's that's great. Uh, but state tax dollars going for little league uniforms in North Providence, no way. That just that's just not right. Not when not when we have the issues of homelessness. We still have people who are food insecure, rents are out of control, state money going to buy Little League uniforms. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just way down on the priority list. Absolutely. Um, last couple of minutes here, I guess. Let's, uh, I guess that elevator pitch you were describing, I'd love to hear it. And, and where can people find out more information about your campaign? Well, thanks for asking that. Uh, they can go to Donnie, D-O-N-N-I-E, the number four, 
senate.com so donnie for senate.com and donnie is d-o-n-n-i-e the number four senate.com and they can connect with me there through the um, website and they can make a donation if they'd like or find out more about the campaign if somebody has specific questions if they contact me through there i'm more than happy to uh, respond to them personally i mean one of the nice things about being a state senator is that the district isn't so big that I can't talk to per people personally. And I've promised people on this stuff. I said, you get in touch with me. And I, I, you know, unless it's a really bizarre you know, time of year or something, I'm going to be back to you in 24 or 48 hours. And we'll sit at your kitchen table and or on your porch. And we'll talk about the issues that you care about. And what I've told folks is this, and I've tried to be really honest, I can't work miracles. But what I can do is I can listen. And I've been listening. And one of the things, Bill, in, in my district, and my guess is it may not be just so different in other places, but um, people that I've talked to, some of them are so discouraged. They have felt unheard. They feel isolated. They feel government is something for people, not for them. And uh, I'm absolutely committed that, you know, if I win this election, I'm back out, you know, knocking on doors and, and listening to people not only the leadership of community groups, but the, the people who just are out there by themselves, who feel really, really lost. And um, a state senator can do everything, but we can listen and we can help intervene with people uh, as is possible. And I hope that we can, for some of those people, they can start to believe that government can work for them. It doesn't have to be so distant and so isolated from their everyday lives. The Reverend Donnie Anderson running for state Senate election day coming up on Tuesday, the 13th and early voting taking place now. Good luck. And thanks for your time. Thank you, Bill, so much. And um, thank you for this opportunity to share some ideas. Yeah, pleasure. Support for Bartholomew Town comes from Commonwealth Care Alliance, Rhode Island, Pure Vita Labs and the University of Rhode Island online cannabis certificate program.